I want to highlight just briefly here some of the um, truths we've been learning over the past few weeks and, and then kind of how today fits in. Today is a unique Sunday um, because April the 10th, two weeks away, the next time we meet here is our, our launch Sunday. So you may be saying, hey, you're new, what does that mean? Um, well, on your seats here, you can see some of these cards um, that we've got. And um, basically, this says that our grand opening is April the 10th. So you're saying, well, why is it April the 10th? We're meeting here today. Um, well, what we've been doing the past few times meeting up is making sure, um, obviously worshiping together, but trying to work out all the details of being in a new facility. Um, and so what, what we've been encouraging you guys is if you have one chance with somebody or you think, hey, maybe they would come to church once, make it April the 10th. Um, we want that to be a big Sunday. Obviously, we'd love for people to stick with us beyond that, um, but that's kind of our, our public grand opening. Um, you'll, you may even notice this week um, on the orange line and some of the buses at the T-stops that we'll have some advertisements going up similar to this. So, I mean, we're pushing everything for April the 10th um, to make, make that a big Sunday. Um, so what we've been using these past few weeks is really to encourage, you know, kind of our, our core team people to think about service and then mission. So... Um, a few, a few weeks ago, um, one of the truths that, that we talked about, actually this was last week, Tanner preached on 2 Corinthians, that we're sufficient to serve. And we talked about the sufficiency of Christ. And we really looked at this verse right here, 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. So we're saying, hey, God uses us. It is through us that God spreads this fragrance. Um, another one of the passages we looked at, we talked about great faith in the authority of Christ from Luke um, chapter 7, but highlighting the Great Commission um, and that, that Jesus has all authority, and that's how the Great Commission begins. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, why am I reviewing this? Well, Today's message is a tough message, and it's really implicit in, come, in, in some of these truths that we've been talking about. Um, if God is going to move on April the 10th and beyond, and, and if everything here on Sunday is going to happen, it's going to be because God uses people. It's, it's through us. And so as we talk about sufficient to serve, um, we've been highlighting that there are many ways to serve here on a, on a Sunday morning to really make this thing great. As you can see in our transformation station, the kids workers that go on to setting up, um, to PowerPoint, music, there are many ways to serve. So we're sufficient to serve, not just here on Sundays, but throughout the week, but also, man, if people are gonna come on April the 10th, it's not gonna be because of Tanner, myself, or Micah. You know, we're just normal, ordinary guys, um, but it's gonna be because of us, the people that have been connected with us that um, are inviting a friend. Um, or praying for somebody who, who's not in, not in church, but they think that might, they would come one Sunday. So it is through us that this happens. So let me just ask you here one second. Looking at the Great Commission, um, this, is, yeah, this is kind of what Redemption Hill, what we want to be about. If we're going to make disciples and really see this mission fulfilled to the ends of the earth, what is implicit here is that if we're going to make disciples, we must first be a disciple. You guys see that? If you're going to make a disciple, you first must be a disciple. If you are going to teach people 
to obey the commandments of Jesus, you've got to first obey them yourself. Do you see that? I, I, we could talk about that, you know, with raising kids or whatever. I mean, how can I teach my kids to do something when they look at my life and they don't see me do that? So if I want to teach my kids how to serve, I need to set them an example of what it means to serve. And if I'm going to teach them that they shouldn't use certain words and should use others, well, they ought to see in my life that I don't use certain words. And you guys follow me there? And so if we're going to really see the Great Commission fleshed out through us, if we're going to make disciples, we must first be a disciple. And so what I want to highlight today is, man, what does it really look like to be a disciple of Christ? And so one of the last things I just want to highlight here is our mission statement here at Redemption Hill Church. We exist to glorify God, and then there's three components here, by living out His mission as a community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel community mission. Obviously, we want to see the mission of God take place in Medford and Greater Boston. But that mission will not take place apart from people being transformed by the gospel. So the people that are a part of this mission, who are wanting to plant this church and see it thrive, must be people who are transformed by the gospel of Christ. And that's also where we gain community. So I want you to grab your Bibles with you today and turn with me to Luke 14. If you don't have a Bible, you'll notice in, in under, under the seats here we've got some Bibles that you can use. Luke 14, so that's going to be in the New Testament. Um, and that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, third gospel there. Luke chapter 14. We're going to start picking up in verse 25. Luke 14, verse 25. Luke 14, verse 25. This is what the Bible says. Now great crowds accompanied him, speaking of Jesus. And Jesus turned and said to them. Now just get the picture here. I'm just going to stop. and I'm going to make a few observations as we go through and then we'll come back and unpack it. This conversation that we're about to hear was not a conversation Jesus had with his disciples. It says the crowds were there. So many Many people, multitudes, that's the setting. There were great crowds that accompanied Jesus. And he turned and he said this to them. Verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Verse 34, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. 
it is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now just a few observations. Obviously, this message was given to the crowds here. And I think probably one of the initial observations too that we'll highlight is, man, there's some very tough things said here. This is not an easy passage. Things like hate your father and mother, take up a cross, deny yourself, renounce everything. This isn't easy. This isn't easy to hear. And that's why at the very end here, Jesus says in verse 35, He says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does Jesus mean here? Surely, all of the crowds, everybody that he got, I mean, just, just imagine this room, you know, they had gathered around, they had seen Jesus perform all these signs, that, you know, they're like, man, he's going to say something great, they're on the tip of their toes just waiting for something great, and he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Surely they heard what he said. Here's what he's getting at. Even though everybody may have heard with their ears, not everybody heard with the ears of their heart. Do you see the difference there? It's the same here. Every single one of you under, underneath my voice today, you're going to hear something's going to go through your ears. But the question is, will you really open up your heart today, with the ears of your heart, and say, hey, God, speak. Speak. I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to hear. Now, too often, the way we come to God is, well, well God, this is what I will do and I won't do, so... You know, this is my agenda. Don't push that. Um, but really, when we come to God, we need to come saying, hey, I'm going to lay my, myself down, and, and, and you're the king. You're Lord of all. You're higher. You tell me. Am I right? Am I wrong? Do you need to speak truth to me? And this is, this is one of these days today where we need to just open up our ears and say, hey, God, hey God would you speak? Would you help me to hear? Would you help me to listen? Because he, three times in this passage, we see this statement. You cannot be my disciple. So he lays out some requirements. And then in verse 26, he says, If you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. And then the next verse, in verse 27, he lays out some requirements. And he says, If you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. And then he sums it up in verse 33. So whoever does not renounce everything cannot be my disciple. Now, it would be tempting right now for us to think that this is a message for like the super Christian. Like, man, this would be something that Jesus would, you know, maybe just gather those that are really hungry and tell them. No. This is what he said to the crowds. Now, just think about this for a second. I can imagine the disciples now. Here's what they're thinking. Jesus, how are we ever going to be the fastest growing church if you keep telling people to hate their families? Jesus, look, if, if, how are we ever going to reach the multitudes and become a mega church if you keep telling people, look, you need to take up a, a, an instrument of torture, like an electric chair, and you need to deny yourself and throw all of your life away and come follow me. I mean, think about it. We live in a world that's all about self-promotion. And Jesus is saying, hey, you need to do away with yourself. Can you imagine the disciples saying that? And I, I even think about Redemption Hill, like, you know, what we preach on Sundays, we, we could come and probably say a lot of really good things that can make people feel good and draw a crowd. But that's, that, that's not what God's called us to do. What He's called us to do is to be faithful, to open up His Word and teach it, even if that means there's some difficult things that we've got to do. Now, I'm trying to help us 
lay the ground before we unpack it. Here's another temptation for us. We try to water down these words. So, well, here's what Jesus really means. You know, not hate, or you don't really have to take up a cross. Now, obviously, we're going to talk about that in a second. I want our first inclination not to be to water it down and to make it easy, to make it, you know, a, a middle-class gospel that kind of meets our needs and lets me continue to be comfortable in life. I think, first of all, we need to sit back and say, man, what do you really mean here? Even if that means that it has huge implications on the way I live my life. So I'm going to try to do two things today. First of all, I'm really going to try to convince you why you shouldn't follow Christ. You may be saying, that's another weird thing. How are you going to grow a church by telling people not to follow Jesus? Well, I'm then going to follow that up with, man, here's why you should. And I think that's the way the passage is laid out here. Um, so I'm actually going to start at the end today. I want us to go to verse 34. I'm going to look at 34 and 35, and the truth here is this. Discipleship is essential for all. I want us to look at the end because I want us to see how important this passage is, and then we'll go and, and unpack it. So verse 34 and 35, you, as we were reading this, you probably were even thinking, how does this salt have anything to do with discipleship? I mean, just look at the verse there. Salt is good. Yeah, salt has a purpose, right? Now, back in the day, you could use salt for many different things. As a preservative, um, I mean, we could talk about a number of different uses. He, he doesn't even highlight really the use for it. He just says this. If it loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, you answer that question. If salt loses its taste, can you restore its saltiness? No. The answer is no. So the implication, he then says, is it is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. Now, guys, you got to catch this. If salt loses its taste, it couldn't fertilize anything, and it would ruin dung. It, like, you think about the manure pile? Yeah, just throw it in the manure pile. No, it's no use even for that. I mean, he's highlighting here, there's no use for it. If it, if it loses its saltiness, it has no use in life. So you say, I mean, hey, what's Jesus, what's he doing here? Here's the deal. If you lack discipleship, that's the connection here. He's talked about discipleship. You cannot be my disciple. If you lack what he just told you, useless. Do you see how pertinent this message is today? And we're talking about service, sufficient to serve. We're talking about the Great Commission, praying for God to do great things. But the thing is, if we lack discipleship, useless. Useless. So I want to highlight a quote here, um, J.C. Ryle in a book called Holiness, who says this, There is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have and think they have enough. A cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. There's a cheap Christianity that many have today. Now here's the question I want, to, I want us to think about. How do you have a Christianity that's actually worth something? Because that's, that's what he's talking about in 34 and 35. If salt loses its saltiness, it's useless. It's worth nothing. It would ruin dung. Man, I don't want that to be my Christianity. I don't want it to be worthless. 
So how do I have a Christianity that's actually worth something and useful? The key is discipleship. The key is discipleship. And so, man, there's really one main truth in this whole passage that I want to share with you. If you don't get anything else, this is the main truth. Renounce everything and follow Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. Renounce everything and follow Christ. As we talk about discipleship, you may even be thinking, well, is there something, can I like sign up for something less than a disciple? You know? So maybe I, I can't be, maybe I, you know, I can't be a disciple, but you know, is there an associate or a, you know? No. And, and what Jesus is talking about disciple, he's not talking about to be one of his 12 disciples. He's talking about basically the word disciple means follower. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, renounce everything and follow me. So, man, as we unpack this, I'm really going to sh share three truths with you today um, to really unpack this. The first one is this. If we're going to renounce everything and follow Christ, we must love Jesus supremely. Look at your text here. Now we're going to go back to the beginning, verse Luke 14, 20, 25, and work on down here. Um, Luke 14, 25, great crowds accompanied. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate. Now this is strong language here. And, and Jesus used it because he's wanting to elicit a response. If you do not hate your mother, your father, your brothers, your sister, your wife, your children. Now I know some of you college students in here, you're thinking, I already hate mom and dad. Now, just before you get on that road, obviously, I think everyone would agree here, Jesus isn't condoning any kind of hate. We could go earlier in the Gospel of Luke, and you know what Jesus says? He says, love your enemies. Right? So surely, if we're supposed to love our enemies, why would I hate my mother and father? So we know this, man, looking at all of Scripture, whatever this does mean, it does, he's not talking about, obviously, hating people. He's really asking this, who do you love supremely? There, there are different degrees of love. In life. And so here's the truth that he's wanting us to gather from this. He, the love you have for Jesus must be so great that the best of earthly loves looks like hate in comparison. You guys see that? Do you love Jesus this way? This is where you guys, we talked about opening our heart. This is where we've got to kind of evaluate our heart. Man, who do you love supremely? Who do you love supremely in life? If we were to evaluate all your relationships in life, who would we really see? You know what? This, this is really who they love. How do you know? How do you evaluate who you love in life? <coughs> who do you make sacrifices for? Right? Who do you make sacrifices for in life? In, a, in another text in Matthew, Jesus says this, Matthew 10, 37, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So obviously, just flipped a different way. He doesn't say hate here. He just says, who do you love more? If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, his, you must love him supremely. There, there is no room for any other person to love any greater than Christ. Now, let me just give you an illustration to help you think through this a little bit. Lee is my wife. 
She's hanging back in Transformation Station, the bus station with the little kids today. I love Lee. I love Lee more than I love you guys. Now, before you get mad at me and go running off, I mean, I'm just being honest with you and being vulnerable. Abby, I love Lee, and I love her a lot more than I love you. I mean, I'm just, that's the deal. So, so now, let me just tell you how this plays itself out. Because I love Lee, I have come up, and I've been challenged, that I ought to have this principle in life. I am never, I'm talking about me, I will never be one-on-one -on -one with another woman of the opposite sex ever. Why? You say, hey, that's a little extreme there. Well, here's the deal. I know that if I'm never alone with another woman of the opposite sex, you know what? I'll never cheat on my wife. I'll never have an affair. You know what? And the goal of this morning isn't to talk about that. But the reality is that many affairs that happen were not really planned. People got in awkward situations and they blew it. So you know what? I'm not a, I know that still. I'm a sinner. I'm a, I know I'm one of the pastors here, but I still blow it. And I'm not even going to put myself in a position where I would even fall into any kind of temptation. So you know what? It, you guys know I work at P.F. Chang's as a server. Twice this has happened. Many times I'm there late at night. I'm closing. It could be after midnight, one in the morning. Twice it's happened that one of the girls there has said, Hey, John, it's really cold tonight. Could you give me a ride home? And I've got to see, hey, is this principle really going to hit the, the rubber, going to hit the road? And twice, you know what I've told these girls? I'm not taking you home. Now, some of you ladies are probably about to ready to throw books at me, right? Now, Lee's back there, though. She's like, yeah, that's John. I love him, you know. Uh, here's the deal. Now, obviously, if there was something, you know, if they were in a life-threatening situation, I'm not going to, hey, sorry, you know. Um, but the reality is, is they had a way to get home. Um, there was another way they could get home. This wouldn't have, me not taking them wouldn't have put them in a life-threatening situation. Um, and I always, you know, put in parentheses here, hey, if I can't take you home, I'll do the best I can to find your way home. So if, if we can get another person to go with us, I'll take you home. Um, or can I help find you a way to get home? So, so there's different ways, not just throwing them out in the cold. No, I'm not taking you home. That sounds very uncompassionate, right? But you know why I do this? Because I love my wife. And the Bible has told me that I should love my wife the way Christ loves the church, and he laid down his life for her. So we see that there are different degrees of love in this life. The question is, who do you love supremely? Now, let's apply this to the Great Commission. The Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Parents. We've got some parents in here today. I'm a parent. The Great Commission, which says go to the world, the Great Commission will not be fulfilled by parents who love their kids more than they love Jesus. Because if I love my kids more than I love Jesus, do you know what that means? You know what I'm going to be telling my kids? Don't go to the nations. Stay home. But if we're going to go make disciples of the nations, do you know what that means? For instance, Jason and Charity Palmer, my best friend, my college roommate, do you know what he's saying to his parents today? I love you but I love Jesus supremely. There are people that need to hear this, and I'm going. My sister, twin sister Amy, July 1st, heads to India for three years. She may not be back in three years. You know what she's saying to my parents? Mom and Dad, I love you. You know what she's saying to me? John, I love you. You know what she's saying? She, she loves my kids more than she loves me. You know what she's saying to Ava, Emmett, and Owen? Hey, guys, I love you. 
but I love Jesus supremely. Now, check this out. Here's, if you hear some noise here or there, I think they're having Zumba, like a, I don't, some type of dance upstairs. So um, We'll just continue to roll through here. Um, when you put your kids to bed at night, and some of you are going to be parents one day, so this is something you need to think through. What I, I get in the habit, of, we pray with our kids at night, and they pray too, and I'll put my hands on them. When you put your hands on your kids at night, what do you pray? God, raise them up. Keep them close as, as you can keep them next door till they grow old. Or do you say, hey, God, I love them, but I love you supremely. Send them to the nations. That's what I pray for my kids. God, I love my kids, but God, send them. Because your mission, if you're going to love Jesus, you must love his mission supremely. Now, college students, everybody else in here, the mission of God will not be fulfilled if you love mom and dad more than you love Jesus. Because you know what you're going to be saying? Hey, no, I'm not going to the nations. I'm staying close at home. And you know what? To love, to love parents more than you love Jesus, you know what? Sometimes when you get older, you've got to even say to mom and dad, I'm sorry, but this is what God's called me to do, and I've got to be obedient. Now, obey and honor your parents. I'm not giving you a free reign here to dishonor your parents, but as you grow older, there's a decision you may have to say to mom and dad. I mean, think about many other places um, in the world that even to follow Jesus... They say to their families, pretty much their families are saying goodbye to them, to follow Christ. Who do you love supremely? That's the truth of the text here. Now, the second truth I want us to go on to, um, not only do we love Jesus supremely, we must follow Him sacrificially. So jump on down here in Luke 14. Luke 14, verse 27. Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. So you must follow Jesus sacrificially, and the truth is this, you must die. What does that here? Bear your own cross. What is he talking about here at cross? I didn't see anybody like park your crosses down in the parking lot down there, right? No. Nobody's parking the crosses down there. Um, so obviously it's not a literal cross he's talking about. He's talking about a figurative cross. Now, now this is before Jesus died on the cross. So you may be thinking, oh, Jesus died on the cross. Well, this is before that. He had not died on the cross yet. So what's he talking about? Everybody there would have known that a cross was one of the most cruelest means of execution, of torture. So basically, here's what he's telling them. If you want to be my disciple, go grab an electric chair, tie yourself to it, and come follow me. What? I still don't get it. But here's the reality, is that if we're going to follow Christ, we die to ourselves. We die to ourselves. Um, I die. I lose my rights. I lose my rights, and Christ becomes supreme. He becomes central in my life. But you know what the problem of this is? The problem is me. I love me. I love John Chastain. Here, you know, if it weren't for Jesus, and I can talk, talk to, about my kids. My kids, Emmett. I, here's Emmett's theme in life. I love me. And I am king, and you guys need to obey me. That's all of us until we come. We're, it's all about me. And Jesus is saying, die to me. The only way to save you from yourself is to take up your cross and come follow Jesus. Otherwise, life is all about me. So if we're going to be his disciple, he is going to be Lord, he's going to be king, we die to ourselves. You guys know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is? He was a German pastor, theologian, back 
um, when Adolf Hitler was going on. He was actually a part of plans to assassinate him. Um, he wrote one of the most influential books of the century, um, last century, called um, The Cost of Discipleship. In that book, this is what he says. He says, thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, here's another, you may be thinking, oh, take up my cross. That's something I do like when I'm, I've been a believer 20, 30, 40 years down the road. No, the setting here, the crowds are around. These weren't just believers. These were anybody who wanted to hear what Jesus says. He says, take up your cross. The cross meets us at the beginning and not the end. So to come follow Jesus, you don't say, yeah, man, later down the road, I'll take up my cross. No, it's to be a disciple, you take it up at the beginning. The last phrase here, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. We don't come to Jesus and say, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, but I won't do this. Jesus, I'll follow you, but, man, I'm not going to do this. Or we usually say, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you on Sundays. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, hey, that's free game for me. You don't come to Jesus like that. You come to him offering your life. So you must die. You must die. Second truth I just want to highlight is not only you must die, you must die daily. If we were to go to Luke 9, 23, let's flip back there real quick. So just a few pages back to Luke 9. Luke 9, verse 23. Jesus says, and he said, oh, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So I just want to highlight here, not only do we die, we die daily. This isn't something that we just choose when we want to. So I feel like it on Monday, but not on Wednesday. This is the pattern of my life. I die. I die to Christ. I die daily. That's what Luke 9, 23 says. But not only do we die daily, there's certain things we must die to. Um, in Luke 9, I want you to look at Luke 9, verse 57. Again, in, in the Gospel of Luke, the author here talks a lot about discipleship and highlights what Jesus says. In Luke 9, I want you to look at verse 57. One of the most influential passages in my life. This is what, um, this is what Luke 9, 57 says. And they were going along the road. Someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Okay. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And what does Jesus say? Hey, foxes, they have a place to sleep at night. Birds, they have a place to sleep at night. Me, does Jesus have a place to sleep at night? Maybe not. What's he say? Hey, you want to follow me wherever you go? Know this. I don't know where I'm laying my head tonight. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you give me all of your trust. You give Jesus all of your trust for, for every provision in life. That's what it means to follow him. Look at to the next guy. He goes on down in verse uh, 59. To another, um, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus, can I first go to my parents' funeral? Is that such a large request? <coughs> no. But what does Jesus say? He says, come follow me. Leave the dead to bury their dead. Now, I'm not encouraging you here to miss your parents' funeral. Obviously, Tanner's not here today because he's 
you know, preached his granddad's funeral. But I will give an illustration. Jason and Charity Palmer, they leave today to go to Slovakia. Do you know what they've been told? If their grandparents die, do you think they're making it back for the funeral? No. They've made a commitment to go over there and financially they don't have the means to come back. And even they're, they're even encouraged and they're told, hey, you need to prepare for this. You're saying goodbye to many people. So, the, you know, the reality is, is to follow Jesus. I mean, not only do you, do you submit your trust, you submit your dreams. I mean, a lot of your, your loves, your passions here, your plans, you give them up. Look, look at the last one here in, in Luke 9. In Luke 9, um, verse 61, he says, Yet another said, I will follow you. But let me first say farewell to those in my house. Jesus said to him, No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. He said, Can I at least go say bye to mom and dad? He says, no, come follow me. Now, you may, you may be looking at these and thinking, hey, thinking this is kind of outrageous here. Yeah, but the point is this. Who do you love supremely and who do you follow sacrificially? If you've got to make a choice between following Jesus and burying the dead, Jesus says, follow me. If you've got to make a choice between following him or saying goodbye, you follow him. Jesus is now supreme. That's what it means to be his disciple. You follow him. He, he controls your whole life. Now kind of applied to the mission of God. The mission of God is too important for half committed people. That's just the reality. There's this mission that's got to be completed. It's too important for people who just don't really want to commit to discipleship. So when you follow Jesus, He tells you where do you go to college. He tells you who you're going to marry. He decides where you're going to live, what job you're going to do, where you're going to do it at. This is what Jesus does. So you love Him supremely, you follow Him sacrificially, and then as we just wrap up, the final truth today is this. You must count the cost wisely. Count the cost wisely. Jesus gives us a few parables here. Going back to Luke 14 now. Luke 14 um, we're going to pick back up here in verse 28. Luke 14, verse 28, Jesus says, So which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it, right? So let's say you wanted to build a house here in Medford. Um, you're going to say, hey, do I have the financial resources to finish the house? If not, what's going to happen is half the house is going to be built, you're going to run out of money, and then every time somebody drives by it, they're going to look at your house and they're going to say, ha, ha, ha they didn't have the resources to finish it, right? He says the same thing with discipleship. Now, I've told you, I wanted to try to tell you why you shouldn't follow Christ. Here's why. Because if you follow Christ, you get, he says you hate your mom and dad. Because to follow Christ, he says you die to yourself. He says to follow Christ, then you renounce everything. So just know this. This is why you shouldn't follow him. It's going to cost you everything. And you need to count that cost. Jumping into following Christ isn't a quick decision you make. Now the reality is, is there's kind of a balance here. Because we know that at any moment, at any moment Jesus can return. And when He returns, man, we're going to face Him judgment with our lives, whether we believed in Him or rejected Him. So there's kind of a tension here. You don't want to wait too long because, man, Christ is coming. But at the same time, you want to make sure I don't just jump willy-nilly into something. That if I'm going to say I'm following Christ, I'm, I mean it. And I'm a disciple. And He's going to be Lord. And I'm, I'm going to submit to Him. So... That's the first illustration he gives. The second illustration he gives 
is going to war. He says, so let's say you're going to war. And the person you're going to war with, um, they've got 20,000 troops and you've got 10,000. He says, won't you first sit down and count the cost? Can your 10,000 beat their 20,000? Now I'm just saying, if I've got 10,000 Jeremy Fishers, I'm pretty confident I can take on any 20,000 that I'm going to face. But if my 10,000 are Tanner Turley's, you know, I might, I, might, uh, I might think twice about that. I mean, the reality is you look and, hey, you count the cost. Can my 10,000 beat their 20,000? It's the same thing with discipleship. Here's the thrust of these two parables. You sit down and you reckon, can you count the cost? That's something you have to reckon with. Now, as we wrap up today, I want to I want to ask this question: And is it worth it? I want to I want to try to convince you now. Here's why you should: Is it worth it to give your whole life away, to give family away, your dreams? I mean, I'm I'm basically saying, hey, everything in life, you just to follow Christ, it's out the window. Your dreams, your passions, your plans, your desires, your family, yourself, all. That's what, that's what it means to be a disciple. It all goes out. Is that worth it? Is it worth it? Or even to ask this, why love Jesus supremely? Why not some guy, some girl, my wife, my kids, my family? Why follow him sacrificially? There are a lot of people I could be following. Well, the first truth I just want to challenge you with is this. This Jesus who challenges you to follow him sacrificially, poured out everything for you. Jesus poured out everything for you. Just reflect with me. Isaiah 53. I've got it on the screen here. This is what Isaiah says about Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many you be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide, divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. Do you know who this is describing here? This is what Jesus did for you. He bore his soul, he poured his soul to death. He was crushed by his stripes. We are healed. This Jesus who says, love me, supreme me, follow me sacrificially, gave up 
everything for you. The truth of the gospel is that, man, we're all sinners. And we deserve this. We deserve chastisement. We deserve punishment. We deserve death. But Jesus said, the, the, the message of the gospel is that I'm dying for you. All you've got to do is believe. Works don't do it. Believe in my sacrifice. Man, why should you love Jesus supremely? Because He has loved you more than you could ever imagine. His love is stronger. His love is higher. His love is wider. His love is truer. Not only that, Romans 12. It's kind of the same picture here. In Romans 12, um, we see here, at the very beginning, Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Why present your body as a living sacrifice? Because of the mercies of God. He has been merciful to you. Look at another one here. Not only did Jesus provide everything for you, I'm going to show you a few parables. The parable of the hidden treasure. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, covered up. Then in his joy, he sells all that he has and he buys the field. Isn't that crazy? Let's say one day, you're, you, this is you. And all your friends here that you put everything up for sale. And they come by and they're saying, man, why are you selling everything? And you tell them, I've got a hunch. You've been to this field and you found a treasure that is worth everything. And you covered it up. I've got a hunch that this treasure is worth more than anything I own. And so, do you know what the person does? The person, hey, I will sell everything I have because of the treasure that I have in Christ is so more valuable than anything I have. And notice, he doesn't do this reluctantly. He does it with joy. You see, to follow Christ and to be His disciple, we, it's not like reluctantly I love Him supremely and reluctantly I follow Him sacrificially. Man, there's joy because I know that He loves me more than anybody in this world. And to follow Him... Really, I gain everything. Look at this next parable. The parable of the pearl of great value. Next verses. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Man, why are you selling everything? This pearl, let me tell you, is so more valuable than anything. The pearl is the gospel. It is Christ. Look at, enough, look at Paul, the example of Paul here. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is far more valuable than anything I have. Final example here. The promise of Christ. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the age to come eternal life. Basically saying, you leave your family, you leave houses, you leave possessions, the reality is, is that in the gospel, you gain so much more. You gain a, a community of faith. You gain brothers and sisters, and you gain an eternal land with God forever that is much more valuable than anything you ever could have. So let me ask you this. Will you renounce everything and follow Christ? 
That's what, that's what Luke 14.33 says. So therefore, he concludes, whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Here's kind of my last plug for you. It's this last quote. If you walk away from Jesus of the gospel, you are walking away from eternal riches. The cost of non-discipleship is greater than the cost of discipleship. You guys see that? Why not follow Christ? Look, if you follow Christ, it's going to cost you everything. But I would be foolish not to say, man, you need to follow Christ. Because when you follow Christ, you gain everything. Even though you've lost everything, you actually gain it all. Eternal riches. Who do you love supremely? Do you really believe Jesus is worth abandoning everything? As we kind of wrap up, I want, and Micah comes up and gets ready to play, I just want, I want to throw a few questions as we wrap up. Do you really believe Jesus is worth abandoning everything for? Do you believe Jesus is so good, so satisfying, so rewarding that you will leave all that you have in order to find fulfillment in Him? Do you believe Jesus is enough you believe Him enough to obey Him no matter where it leads? Even when others, including your friends or your family, go another way. Man, initial steps today. Maybe you're saying, hey, this is the first time I've really heard, man, what it means to be a disciple. Initial steps for you would be this. Man, confess you're a sinner. You're right, man. I've blown it, God. Repent of your sin. Turn from it. And believe in Christ that what He's done for you is sufficient. And that's where joy, happiness, satisfaction is found. Man, repent, believe, trust today. Do that today. Repent, believe, trust, and follow Him with your life. So maybe your prayers start looking a little different. Maybe your prayers go something like this. Hey God, who am I supposed to date? Where am I supposed to go to college? Where am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do after college? Man, how am I supposed to live out the mission of God? Maybe you come to God and you say, if I'm going to be your disciple, God, you answer these questions. And I'm going to obey because that is where joy is found. Let's pray. Father, God, these were difficult words today. They're difficult for me to even preach because I know that, man, I can't teach what I don't obey myself. God, would you help me to love the things of this world less so that I can renounce everything? for the joy of knowing you and having eternal riches in you. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.